On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. Maryland sports fans, there's only one sports book in the great state of Maryland with over 50 years experience booking bets and supporting customers. Betfred Sportsbook at Long Shots is now open and is the only sports book in Frederick offering cash betting on football, basketball, world soccer, and more. Visit the Betfred Sportsbook at I-270 and MD-85 in Frederick, right next to Longshot's off-track betting. Go to BetfredSports.com for more information and your chance to win exclusive merchandise. Must be 21 or older. Play responsibly. For help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Approaching one year later, tomorrow is the actual day, October sixth. It's the um, it's the one year anniversary of the passing of Eddie Van Halen. I'm your host, Jay Scott. This is the Hook Rocks, the Ultimate Rock Community Podcast. We are part of the Pantheon Podcast Network, a great family of music related podcasts for all of you to enjoy. A lot of diverse podcasts in different genres, different styles, and check them out on PantheonPodcast.com. You can follow them on Twitter at Pantheon Pods, follow them on Facebook. You can also follow us on Twitter at The Hook Rocks, Facebook, The Hook Rocks, and follow us wherever you do podcasts. Set your app for automatic download so you get all the Brand new episodes like the one today on your phone, right to your phone, and you can enjoy them, hopefully. And if you do, please give us some feedback. We always love it. 
I can't believe it's been a year. It feels like it's been five minutes. It really has. And as I started to prepare for this episode and kind of plan what I wanted to do, I kind of, you know, I didn't want to make it um, or I didn't want to have, you know, a sad conversation because there's been so much great music or he gave us so much great music that I wanted it to be more like a celebration, more a discussion about his legacy. And I know there might be points in this conversation where things may get a little bit emotional because he meant so much to me as a young kid growing up and the music that impacted me and just the experiences I had listening to that album or just the experiences I had listening to his music. As I mentioned in the memorial episode I did a couple of days after he passed, I still remember taking my son to my mother's house and walking in. She still lives in the same house, obviously, and, and there's it's different furniture and there's different carpet now on the floor and but I walked my son over to where I laid on my back with my feet up on this piece of furniture that was like this long rectangular piece of furniture. And on one side was the television, the old Zenith. And on the other was the turntable. And then underneath it, it was like a, it was like a rectangular and then it was like a shelf. And then underneath it, there were like books and speakers. And I, was showing my son this is this is where it was and I'm hovering over it like I'm looking at like a relic in a museum like this is where it happened this is where I heard Van Halen for the first time I took the Barry Manilow album off the phonograph that my mother had and I put the Van Halen one album in I put the big bulky headphones on while she was cleaning so she couldn't hear it And that's when the connection began. So this episode is special for me. It's special for all my listeners who are tuning in because he is the greatest of all time in terms of guitar, in terms of innovation. And it's uh, it's a discussion where we can talk about what we've learned about him and what we remember about him and the, and the connection we had. So that's really the direction of this episode. We had some Van Halen-related news late last week when David Lee Roth announced his retirement from performing. Very cryptic statement I think from David Lee Roth you know he's such a wordsmith and he's such a complicated guy and a brilliant person too as well I mean if you ever had a chance to watch his DLR show or David Lee Roth show podcast on YouTube I've heard rumors that he stopped doing it because he felt not enough people were listening And that's a shame because there's some great moments in that where you get a little peek 
inside his mind and how he thinks and what makes him tick. And you kind of understand where his creativity comes from and what he meant to the band. And he's been very frank and honest over the last few years in interviews where he's discussed how from the very beginning he didn't get along with Eddie and Eddie and him had the tension, but that tension created that fire, that tension created that music. And I don't know what the relationship was between the two of them towards the end of Eddie's life. As a fan, I hope that they resolved any differences or they had that moment of acceptance. Maybe that, you know, maybe that's a wrong word to use, but just that moment of appreciation for each other or, or verbally appreciate each other. If that could possibly happen, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just talking, but as a fan, but I like to think that they, cleared their differences and cleared the air before uh, before Eddie's passing because it sounds like something's going on with David Lee Roth as well. And I don't know really how to read his statement. He makes mention that, you know, objects are closer than they appear. You know, when you look at a rearview mirror and he kind of made mention that he's closer than you think. And he talked about his own mortality and the shortness of life. So it's an interesting statement, and I hope, I hope he he is well, or as well as he can be, if he is in fact dealing with an ailment or a sickness. But hearing that last week and seeing that statement, or hearing that statement, it brought back a little bit of the emotions that I felt. When Eddie passed, in my opinion, Van Halen is the greatest American rock band of all time. Better than Metallica, better than Aerosmith. They changed the game. There's no other American band outside of Metallica that changed music as much as Van Halen did. That was a part of pop culture. That was a part of our fabric of reality when we were kids, when we were younger. So I hope you enjoy this episode as everything that, uh, that we do here at The Hook Rocks. It, it always comes from the heart and always comes from a good place and... Give us a listen. I hope you appreciate it. I hope this helps you reflect and kind of put your arms around October 6th as it's approaching. I know there's a lot of Van Halen fans out there that have been dreading this day. But as we move forward and we move farther away from his death, I hope that we... It's, you know, instead of feeling sadness, I hope that we feel celebration. I hope we remember those happy times that Eddie Van Halen, the band Van Halen, gave us. When I first decided to do this episode and talk about the life of Eddie Van Halen and on the anniversary of his passing 
October 6, 2020, I, I was trying to figure out which way to really go about this podcast. And I had the option of doing this on my own and doing this by myself, similar to what I did when I did a tribute memorial to him a few days after he passed. And I, I figured if I wanted to have a discussion with someone, there's only one person I wanted to do this with. And I started you know, following him when I read the book, Van Halen Rising, which is a, a fantastic book. My, my son has even done it as a book report when he was a freshman. And also the book on Ted Templeman, A Platinum Producer's Life in Music. I'd like to welcome in Mr. Greg Renoff. How are you doing today, man? How are you? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. I really do appreciate you doing this. Like I said, I, I, I'm so glad that we're able to discuss this and really talk about what rock fans have been going through and Van Halen fans have been going through the past year, either mourning his loss, celebrating his music, learning more about him as time has moved on, which is, I think, one of the great positives about you know him and his passing out of something bad, something good always happens, and I think that's one of the good things. Um, but we always start the show the same way every time we have a first-time guest. And that is what we're all about, the essence of the show. And just like every great rock song has a hook that sucks you in, every rock band has a moment, whether it's a song, an album, a band, or performance. What hooked you on rock and roll? You know, um, I had an uncle, I have an uncle who uh, ended up living with uh, us, my family, in 1977. So I was, I was eight, and so he was in his 20s. And uh, he was kind of like the older brother I, I didn't have. And uh, when he showed up, he moved in and uh, brought his records and talked to me about stuff like the Almond Brothers and Mountain and Jimi Hendrix and the Rolling Stones. And, you know, I didn't immediately, like, get it at eight years old. And um, I really didn't become, like, a hard rock fan until I was a teenager. But uh, that definitely laid the groundwork. And I think there's no question if uh, he hadn't done that, I probably would not have gravitated towards rock music the way I did because uh, it was a great you know I, I did like I said I didn't get it but he was talking to me about like oh eat a peach you this is a great album and like I didn't really understand like you know what that meant or anything but he would show them to me and play the songs and stuff where did it go from there once the stones yeah, and- you know, so for, yeah so for me um, you know I was a pretty uh, a pretty casual um, rock fan probably after that, whatever was on the radio, but probably around 1981 or so, you know, um, I started hearing things on the radio, like the stuff by the stones, you know, I tattoo you, uh, the doors were having their big revival. And that was a big, a big thing for me because my uncle had talked to me about the doors and Jim Morrison. And definitely, um, that was one of the reasons why I started listening to them. And, you know, um, my first big concert, actually my first real big rock concert was actually, I saw the go-go's at Madison square garden in 1982. My sister, was younger than me was a big fan and i think our uncle got tickets you know basically was able to get tickets with someone he knew at work that old like story you know like oh somebody that you know at work had extra tickets and we got to go to this concert and that was the first big rock concert i ever saw and actually um i had the opportunity to mention this to kathy valentine on twitter um just just you know she uh, got tagged in the same thing i got tagged in about the go-go's and she remembered it um that when they played madison square garden the upper deck of Madison Square Garden was actually rocking. I could feel it shaking from all the girls, most of the girls dancing. 
to the go-go song. And I was, you know, again, I was probably like 12 and that really added up. I was like, wow, you know, I'd been in Madison Square Garden before for whatever, for, you know, the circus, a basketball game, a hockey game probably. And uh, to feel the power and the energy of that event, you know, really made an impression on me. And I really, uh, you know, kind of got more uh, clued in on what rock meant to, you know, you know, uh, teenagers and just, you know, people of our generation in general, but also for me, you know, I didn't become a Go-Go's fan. Um, but, uh, for me, it really like, I was like, wow, this is cool to go to a concert like this and to see all these people together having a good time and the music being loud and everything was fun. When did you discover Van Halen? Yeah. So I discovered Van Halen, you know, the way I usually tell the story is I'm, quite certain I heard Pretty Woman on the radio when it came out. That probably would have been the first time I have any sort of recollection of, of that. Um, I'm not sure I knew it was Van Halen that was doing it. If I did, it didn't really mean much to me. Um, you know, but it, when I saw a jump on MTV, that's what really, you know, made it hit home for me. Um, and that was kind of the thing that lit the fuse. I mean, it was the thing that lit the fuse. The uh, first thing I did was I went out and I actually bought the Jump 45 you know, I don't, I don't um, remember why I did that. We had a record player. I'm not sure why I didn't buy the record or maybe I didn't have enough money when I went to the record store. That could have been it. The singles were like, what, 225 at the time or something like 250 you pay for the single. And I remember listening to Jump over and over. But then I flipped it over and there was a song called House of Pain on the B-side. And typically the B-side of a single like that is the song that is least likely to make a charting hit, right? You basically don't want to give away two singles for free. So it's the song like, okay, what's the song that we were least likely to re- release as a single? That would be House of Pain. But uh, when I heard the guitar sound of Eddie Van Halen and just the just the playing and how aggressive it was, I don't know, it was hard, it's hard to explain. It just really um, affected me on a very deep level. I, I At that point, I'd probably been playing around with a guitar that was at the house. There's an acoustic guitar at our house and I probably played around with it. But, you know, I started to get really interested in guitar playing after I heard Eddie Van Halen. Um, I never got to be a very good guitar player. As I always said, I was always like a, you know, a, like a solid intermediate guitar player. And that's where I made my progression to stop. I really couldn't, couldn't progress beyond that. Uh, but that was it for me. And then I ended up seeing Van Halen on the 1984 tour in New Jersey at the Meadowlands. And uh, man, that really was a, a life changing experience, much more than the go-go's and sort of the, just sort of the energy and the power, you know, the, the first concert, that first concert, the garden I went to definitely like, was like, wow, concerts are cool. This is really, this is really amazing sold out Madison Square Garden, but this was just, was so much louder and so much more um, energetic. The, the, the kids were, you know, screaming much louder. It was a different sort of, it was a different sort of screaming. I don't know how to explain it. It was a different sort of energy. Um, it was more raucous, I guess that's what I'm looking for. It was a much more raucous sort of uh, frenzied crowd response. And, you know, once I saw that, you just saw the huge stage, the stage was gigantic and the the, the, uh, the songs, I heard a lot of songs on that that I didn't know because at that point, I think I probably only had the 1984 tape. I don't think I had any other Van Halen records. And when I saw them live, and once that happened, it was like, that's it. You know, I'm I'm in 100%. I'm a, I'm a big, big Van Halen fan now. I just remember I was, I had an older brother who would always, was, was more or less my gateway to music. Whether it right. was Van Halen, whether it was Journey, whether it was any band that was big, you know, in the early to mid 80s. I always feasted on whatever he had in his room. Whenever right. he would go hang out with his friends, I'd stay back and sneak in his room and listen to all this stuff. And I just remember, you know, listening and grabbing Van Halen one while I, I think I was still in kindergarten. 
and I just wow. finished watching Great Space Coaster, and and I went in. My mom was clean. I took the Barry Manilow record off the phonograph and put Van Halen one in. And I just remember hearing eruption and how like I just didn't understand it. You know, I think I was still. God, I was, I was, it was probably 81, 82, and I just didn't understand. I just knew it was great. I knew, but I didn't know it was like the guitar. I didn't know what he was playing. But what I remember mostly about Van Halen, the biggest thing that I remember as a kid was how much they meant to pop culture. You know, whether yeah. it was the Us Festival in 1983, the beginning of MTV and what they meant to the beginning of, of MTV, the video for Jump, you know, the Chicago Cubs playing that as their intro every time they had a baseball game on WGN. The painter's caps that every kid had. The references in movies. It, it, they were larger than life. And they were really not just a band, but they were part of the fabric of our culture as teenagers, as young kids growing up. And it was so different than most other bands, right? I mean, the Motley Crues and the Rats and all that stuff, they were all popular. They all had their their moment. But Van Halen just seemed to be above it all. And they seemed to really be, like I said, part of who we were as a as a young culture, as kids growing up. Mm-hmm. As- yeah, I mean, I think the thing is, sorry, I, I was just going to jump in there and say, yeah, you know, the thing for me, I, I completely can relate to that. It It was... It was a moment where MTV could make you transcendent as a pop star. And we saw that in 84 where people like Madonna and Prince and Van Halen was right there alongside them. And uh, it, it, did, it did make them, I think, make pop stars, rock stars seem much more relatable in some sort of way than, you know, maybe perhaps it would have been in like 1977 you're watching like a midnight movie and seeing the song remains the same where you saw it maybe three or four times and it wasn't it wasn't something that was in your living room and it was being played over and over again and you had multiple videos you could watch and see them maybe record them on your vcr and watch them um you know and then uh, the other thing that i think speaks to this as well is that the um, the michael jackson factor with eddie and beat it was was right there beat it had just you know um had its ride up and down the charts around that same time or a little before, obviously before that a bit, but around that same time. And then, um, you know, Roth did a really good job of leveraging his fame as well. That would take off more by the end of the year, but they were, you know, they were, I, I can totally relate to what you're saying about them becoming, um, bigger that, you know, and, and, which is obvious, but they were more, I don't know, more everywhere. Yeah. It just seemed like they were accepted by mainstream. It was the one band that at that time, Later on, as we went further down the 80s and, you know, MTV became bigger and, and there in line, you know, glam rock became bigger and the bands that were around became more mainstream. But they were they were it before there was those bands. And, and, and I don't remember, you know, any of the other groups that were around being mentioned in Fast Times at Ridgemont High or Back to the Future or Better Off Dead or wherever, you know, whatever movie there was. It just seemed like they were the coolest cats on the scene and whatever trend was happening, they were, they were their own thing. They had their own path. Yeah. You mentioned that. It's funny. I just watched, I just rewatched for the first time. I'm going to guess in 30 years, the movie Valley girl, which I was, um, 
very entertained by watching it again. Uh, but there's, a, you know, the, the main character, the girl, has a David Lee Roth poster on her wall. The movie came out in '83, and you know, it's like you sort of like all Davis is like hanging out. You, you see him in a couple scenes; they don't like really show up very closely. But if you if you watch the scenes there, she's you know she has to go through a rock poster in the bedroom real quick. Of course she does, you know. And she was like a new wave girl, right? That was the idea she was born as like new wave rock. But of course she had a David Lee Roth poster in her room. As you know, we move farther away from October 6, thousand twenty. Where where are your feelings at? with his with Eddie Van Halen's legacy. And do you feel the same as you did when you first heard the news? But now that you've had time to to digest it and absorb it, where are you at with with defining his legacy? You know, that's a really interesting question. You know, I I obviously spend a good part of every day tweeting about Van Halen or or uh, emailing people about Van Halen and posting about Van Halen just as part and parcel of my uh my role as a, an author of a Van Halen book. And, um, you know, it's, it's a, uh, hard to believe in some ways it's been a year, but in some ways it seemed longer than that. If that makes sense. It just seems like, you know, I think, I think because Eddie has sort of stepped away from the public eye for, for some years before he passed, it seems like he's been sort of, you know, kind of, gone for longer than he was. And I know obviously, you know, occasionally in like 2017, he might pop up at something, but for the most part, you know, there were no shows, there were no appearances. He didn't do any interviews. Um, so I think that's why it feels longer, but obviously, you know, the finality of hearing the news that day that he had passed was, um, was something that was shocking. Um, even though I think, I think probably the majority of Van Halen fans who were like close followers of the band probably knew that he was not a hundred percent. Like there was some sense that he wasn't, you know, he wasn't cancer free. Um, but to have that come like that, the way it did, um, you know, it's, it's still a hard, a hard thing to accept. I'll tell you, I just watched a clip. Uh, there's a very good Instagram account, which if you're a Van Halen fan, you should be following, which is called very strange life. And it's basically a Van Halen history Instagram account. And, uh, there was a clip that went up two days ago, three days ago that I had never seen before. I think it was filmed in Denver, Colorado on the 2015 tour, but uh, Eddie Van Halen played Happy Birthday. He said, and he, he, it's kind of hard to hear what he says, you know, it's, it's, um, he, he wasn't speaking super clearly into the microphone when he said it, but he said basically, today would have been my mother's 100th birthday, uh, that she, you know, um, that she had been born in uh, 1915, and Eddie played Happy Birthday on the guitar. And, you know, when he played that, it, sort of did the thing to me like it did when I first heard Jump. I heard some of the solos on the 1984 album. It sort of electrified me and like kind of, it was, it was, I think because it was an unexpected thing for him to play on guitar because obviously, you know, I've seen him play the solo for Atomic Funk. We all have. We've seen these solos before and every time he does it, it's great. But you you kind of know what to expect. But just to see him do something like that and it was like there was a couple of chords he hit, you know, kind of finishing the song over. It's like so thick and so powerful. And just, just um, kind of uh, really hit home for me. Like, there's not going to be another guy like this ever again. And that seems completely trite to say because we all know that. And I would say that any day for the last year, I would say that you know, there's never going to be another guy like this. But to hear that, like, just like you know, he played that, I'm like, oh yeah, only Eddie Van Halen would have played Happy Birthday like that. Um, so if you guys go and check that out, you'll maybe you'll see what I mean. It was just because it was. 
you know, it was something I'd never really heard him play before. I'd never heard him play Happy Birthday in the car. And I was like, oh, yeah. You know, it's like Hendrix with the Star Spangled Banner or something. It's like you just, when you see something like that that's out of the, the typical repertoire of the musician and they do that type of music and it's still so incredible. You know, that's, uh, that was just, to me, that was like, wow. It was, you know, again, that was about, you know, just a few days uh, ago. And uh, I know we're talking, um, you know, here as, as we're approaching the one year anniversary. It was just a, it was a, a real gut punch for me. I was just like, wow, that's, uh, you know, that's not um, anything that's ever going to be replicated by any human being on the planet. And uh, so, you know, I think him being gone in some ways, again, out of the public eye for longer makes it seem like it was, it was a longer, um, that he's been gone longer than he really has. But, um, yeah, there's just one thing, you know, and these things pop up occasionally, these unusual videos of Eddie or little, little snippets of him doing different things, but it, it, that sort of, um, out of the norm type of musical piece that really was, uh, had a big effect on me. You know, I used to be one of the, one of the guys or one of the fans that, you would be disappointed that we didn't hear a lot of music over the last 20 years from him. And, you know, after he, he passed, my perspective changed in that, you know, let's just enjoy what we have and what he gave us rather than worry about what he didn't give us, you know, the last 20 years. Do you think the lack of music during, you know, the past two decades affected his legacy or did it add to his mystique? You know, I think, I think that's a really good question. And I think if I was an attorney, I could argue both sides of that case effectively. I would say, you know, it's very easy to forget if you or me or anyone else who's been a fan for their, their, um, since the seventies or the eighties up through today, that there was a period of time where Van Halen basically produced an album, you know, nearly, Every year, every other year, if average, if you average it out, I, you know, between seventy-eight and 90, 95. Now, of course, that's I'm obviously exaggerating slightly for effect here, but basically, you know, however many albums came out during that time period, in you know, it was like you know, uh, you know, do a quick uh, math, which is probably wrong. It's probably like eleven or twelve albums in like 50, you know, in twenty years or something like that. So it's like maybe a little bit less than one every two years, and uh, there's a lot of music. You know, and all that those all those albums between uh, Van Halen one and Balance went platinum. Um, you know, and so when you think about that, you're like, damn, that guy did a lot of great stuff uh, in a relatively short period of time. And the flip side of that, as you, as you mentioned, is this is this sense that wow, there was a lot of missed opportunities, maybe um, where more stuff could have been done after Van Halen three, for example. They did uh, obviously the one album with David. They were kind of tripping. Live album, the best of stuff, and so on. But there really wasn't an output that was presented to the public. And so, yeah, I mean, I think I think as a fan of Eddie and of Van Halen, it really you know would have been nice to see you know whatever one other album, like an instrumental album or something. Um, but that was never um, seemingly something that he wanted to do. I think if he ever wanted to do a solo album, or instrumental album, or anything like that, he would have he would have done it. I would assume it just never was, you know, he never was really interested in doing anything significant, meaning album like or EP like that was an Eddie Van Halen thing outside the, the context of Van Halen. And so, you know, the, the, uh, you know, the whole gratitude uh, way of looking at it is, I think is important too. Um, 
you know, it's a lot of, a lot of hours, a lot of life that probably he could have spent, you know, just spent more time with his wife, more time with his kid or whatever, you know, where he was like, fr- you know, cranking out these albums uh, during that time period. When, when his son was very young, he's, you know, locked in the studio doing that and produce these records. But, you know, um, I, I think on the whole, it's difficult considering what he generated in that very, especially that very um, most productive period of time to sort of be like, and it should have been more. And, you know, um, I think now that we've had a, a little bit more insight into his, his medical condition from what Wolfgang has said over the last year or so, kind of, like, you know, I think lifting the curtain a little bit on the fact that he was ill quite a bit, that he had cancer for quite a long time, and that at times it was looking, you know, looking like he wasn't going to survive and he lived several more years. And so when you sort of recognize, well, you, know, you, me, me, anybody recognizes that this guy, you know, was basically um, dealing with the specter of cancer for over a decade, serious cancer, you know, coming away, going back, getting rid of it, coming back. Um, you know, it's kind of been a little bit easier to understand, like, they went on the road, they did their thing, but yeah, he didn't do more in the studio. He also, you know, as his, you know, life was coming to an end over the, you know, he obviously became more secluded. Um, but even before that, he started to open up more about his family. I mean, we, you know, the, the interview right. with him at the Smithsonian, you know, where he right. talked about his early life. He talked about his father and mother. You know, that was not something that he readily talked about when he was younger. Um, and then also after his passing, you know, we heard the interviews, you know, with Wolfgang and we started to learn more about how people interacted with him over the years and how, how he was very humble and very warm and very supportive of other guitar players in the scene and in rock and, and, and trying to help them in that, in that aspect, I'm, I'm disappointed that. We didn't hear about that stuff before, but also thankful mm-hmm. that we are learning that stuff now, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing is, Eddie Van Halen was never going to be the guy who was going to be comfortable sitting on the couch at Letterman or with Jimmy Kimmel or, or you know, doing any of the stuff that a person of his fame could have done in theory. Um, and so, you know, there wasn't a lot of self-promotion on that level. And I think you're, I think you're right. It's, it's, it's really been interesting and illuminating to have those moments now revealed to us. We're like, Oh, you know, this is what Eddie did to help this person or this musician or, um, you know, guys like Steve Luke, they're talking about their friendship with Eddie and, and uh, what he was like in private. And, you know, there was a lot of that stuff that never really, um, it was visible. Um, but it, it kind of, to me, it all circles back to the original, um, access between Roth and Van Halen. I mean, Eddie was never comfortable in the spotlight. Um, you know, he did his thing on stage and that was different. That sort of the, the, uh, stage stuff was different, but he never really enjoyed the, for lack of a bit term, the sort of, the sort of public social aspects of, of being, um, being a rock star. You know, when he went to the, the, um, events with his wife, uh, Valerie would go to these movie premieres and stuff. And he always kind of wondered if, you know, that was sort of, something that he would have would have done otherwise I, I never I never got the impression that he was like oh I've married a, um, a a famous successful beautiful Hollywood actress because I enjoy this sort of like more spotlight on me it was more like I love this woman and this is part of the part of the deal um, if that makes sense and so there really you know there really you know there really wasn't a lot of that stuff and Alex is even more 
And in some ways, Alex had the you know the luxury of being even more private. And so you never really saw that stuff from the brothers about what they did or you know um, or what Eddie was like in terms of his um, his private doings that did public good, if that makes sense. How he helped other musicians, he said, or did charitable charitable actions. Um, you know, um, you know, even like the Jason Becker. I think one of the more moving things I saw in the last year, which happened, I came out. I think within a couple of weeks after he died, there was the video of Eddie visiting Jason Becker. I was just which made me cry that. when I watched it. Yeah, you know, when you watch that, and you're like, you know what? This is a guy who, however people characterized him one way or the other, you know, would say this and that about him that was not kind or say he was like this. And, you know, I never met him. Um, and so I don't, you know, um, don't, I'm not in any place to speak to any of that stuff other than to say that, you know, when you see stuff like that and you start to realize that like, this man's got a good heart. He wasn't a perfect human being like anybody else. I have bad moments. I think a lot, you know, everyone has their bad moments in life where they maybe wish they could do things differently. Didn't live a perfect life. I've made mistakes. You know, it's um, it was very, very apparent to me that this this man was a caring person who had empathy, who was a very empathetic person, and could was at that moment, of course, was especially moved by the fact that here's this kid, guitar player, who now can't play guitar anymore, and you could see that Eddie was like stroking his head, and something I'm sure he was thinking about the fact that this guy has been taken away, the the thing that you know Eddie could I, I would imagine was saying to himself that would be the thing that would be the hardest for me to have be taken away from me probably. Um, I'm guessing Eddie would probably would have rather go blind than be able to play the guitar. That'd be my that'd be my guess. I don't know that, but you know, to have like that ability to play your instrument taken away like that, um, you know. And like you said, that's that's right. You saw you saw that. I saw that, and that's like you know, like kind of strips away all the bullshit about him. Um, you know, again, a flawed human being like anybody, like myself, made mistakes. Uh, I'm not comparing myself to him as <laughs> as a musician or any other way or um, importance in history, but just to say everybody. Um, you know, has moments that they can look back on and say, I could have done that better. And, you know, some of his, because of his, um, you know, more public persona were more public and, you know, especially around the 2004, 2005 period where he was struggling with substances, you know, a lot of that stuff is out there. And, um, you know, but that's, that's, um, that's not really, I think, characteristic of who he was as a person and what he was about. It's it's it is endearing to know that he had those flaws, right? I mean, you know, I, I obviously you know the people that were close to him dealt with it, and there were some dark times, you know, for him and those around him when he was dealing with those um, issues and, and demons that he had. But you know, through that, it, it never defined him as who he was. I mean, there's a lot of artists, there's entertainers that for whatever reason, get defined by those demons. And right. it never seemed where Eddie, you, you know, what, had that happen to him. And then when you see the video for Distance come out, that Wolfgang released, oh, yeah. you know, which was like a celebration of him as a person, not the guitar player. And right. I thought that was perfect. That was a perfect way to memorialize him because to Wolfgang, he was just dad, right? His dad happened to be one of the best guitar players to ever live, if not the best, but to him and in, you know, interviews that we see with Wolfgang in, in, in having that empathy that we get from him. Um, obviously, you know, Valerie's his mother and, and Eddie was his father. He gets that from both sides, but to have this sweet soul, you know, be raised with someone who has those flaws. And again, we all have flaws, but you know, that just is a testament of who he was as a dad 
and what was most important with him. I mentioned in the in the memorial episode I did last year, you know, when he's on stage and he looks behind him and his brother is, you know, still banging on the drums that you know he's been there since the beginning. And he looks across the stage and it's his son. And he the way he talks about his father. Those that was yeah. most important to Eddie. You know, that was the family was the most important thing. Correct. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that's, that's it too, is in terms of the, um, you know, the, the, to circle back to the sort of, you know, we, we wish Eddie would have released more music. I mean, I think that was always the thing too, is if people think, and I've been asked this question a number of times, like, why is Eddie Van Halen never done a solo record? Because, you know, because how do you do a solo record without your brother? And who's your, been your drummer? And then if you, do do it with Alex. It's like, okay, we've got two of the guys at Van Halen. Like, what's the, you know, like, what's the point of not like calling it Van Halen. Right. And so, um, family was most important. And that's, you know, I think that's part of, uh, part and parcel of the, of the whole Michael Anthony issue that is, you know, Eddie took a lot of grief for, um, in sort of the, the sense that, um, you know, his son stepped in for Mike and that was, uh, something that prevented the original lineup from ever playing together again, in theory. You know, but look, you know, even Michael Anthony has said, like, who, who wouldn't want to play with his son? You know, um, Mike's always been a completely stand-up guy about that, just to say, like, hey, you know, it's, it's Eddie's kid, he's a great bass player, and of course you want to play with your son. I, I you know, that makes sense to me, and it's okay. You know, and that's, that's uh, you know, that kind of all comes down to it. It wasn't like he fired, you know, you know, got in some alternate universe, you know, the evil Eddie Van Halen files, fires Michael Anthony and hires some like random guy. They took, you know, they auditioned to replace him, you know, like a younger, a younger, better Mike. Um, you know, it was Eddie's son, right? I mean, so that you would start to think about that. It's like, yeah, you know, it's like three Van Halens in one band. Um, makes sense. And, uh, you know, the, uh, the fact that Alex might never play drums again publicly. And again, I, have, I, I, I have no, information about that just me just obviously this is me speculating right he's not, he hasn't said anything i don't want anyone to think like alex has said something publicly they haven't heard like he's never seen it said anything um you know but that just all kind of comes back to it too right that that's that seems likely that alex may never really play music again like that publicly you know because his brother's gone and that kind of gets back to the whole family um connection to with with uh, the van halens and let's not also forget too i i believe it was wolfgang that that pushed Eddie to work with David Lee Roth again. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's like that to me. We don't have to belabor that point, but that to me is always the one of the more remarkable things that's that about Van Halen fans who who seem to have given Wolfgang grief. And I'm always like, you know, no matter what the guy does, and he's you know by from um, all accounts, he's doing, his band is doing great. I enjoy his tweets immensely. Um, I, I, you know, I really am thrilled to death that his, um, that his, uh, first solo album has done so well, but, you know, putting all that aside, no matter what anyone wants from the kid or thinks of the kid, it's, I shouldn't sell him the kid. He's 30, right? Uh, thinks of Wolfgang. It's like, (laughs) it's like, he's the guy who accomplished the impossible. He's the guy who got David Lee Roth and, and Eddie Van Halen in the same room with Alex Van Halen. And they started playing music together and they actually went on tour multiple times. It's like, you know, case closed on Wolfgang, right? Case closed. It's done. It's, you know, he, you know, I don't think he, he, uh, you know, 
needs any more achievements in his life and in the history of Van Halen to make him like, you know, worthy of like all sorts of thanks. Like, thank you. You know, thank you. Uh, because nothing was happening with Van Halen. I mean, that's the other thing to think about. It's like that point in time, Sammy was done with them. They weren't going to get another singer. And it was just, they were, you know, Eddie was in his sort of, for lack of a better term, holding pattern where it seemed like, you know, what was going to happen? Like what was, what was happening? Nothing. Right. They were just sort of stuck. And Wolfgang was like, why don't you call Dave? And then, you know, Wolfgang reportedly was the person who picked up the phone and made the first phone call at 15 years old, by the way, you know? And for anyone that doubted Wolfgang's talent, that, that has to be dismissed when you hear the album. You know, like if anyone oh, yeah. if anyone right. thought that there was no merit why why he should be in the band, you can't say that anymore. That 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 argument is is gone. Yeah, the um, and the fact that he played everything on the album, and I think you know, I don't know, I I, I don't think Wolfgang has ever said this, but I think that was beyond the sort of I think the enjoyment that he got out of doing that because he has the ability to play all those instruments. Uh, you know, maybe. If he were on the call with us, he'd say, this is bullshit. But, I, you know, I, I think part of it was just like, you know, it, it really, like you said, cements the case like this guy is a, a special talent. There's no, like, accident. It's not because of his last name, right, that he, he was able to make an album. It's not like, oh, yeah, well, he's the son of a Van Hill. Of course, he can make a rock album. No, it's like because he can play all these instruments and write these songs and sing. You know, uh, that, that right there is, um, you know, like you say, the absolute 100% case closed proof that, yeah, I mean, of course, he, he was, you know, <laughs> he didn't just get in Van Halen because he was Eddie's son. I guess that's the easiest way to put it. Well, yeah, I mean, Eddie's not going to put him on stage if he's not ready, right? I mean, I mean, if anyone knows who someone, you know, if someone's ready, it's it's Eddie and Alex, right. you know, I mean, because, right. you know, the amount of hours they put in to be on stage to get to that level to create their sound you know, he's not going to allow himself, he's not going to put his son in a position to fail. No way. Right. No way. No way. Yeah. It's, and it's, uh, you know, to me, thinking about Eddie's legacy too, you know, one of the ways I sort of enjoy celebrating Eddie, Eddie's legacy in some sort of way every day is like, I, you know, I, I, I'm just thrilled for Wolfgang. Um, like I said, it's, it's, and it's not as if like I had this like, oh, you know, two years ago, I was like, well, you know, if Van Halen ever retires, it's like, you know, Wolfgang can pick up the torch and run with it. I, I, I don't know. I don't think anyone was thinking that. But like, you know, just to have him out there playing music that's very different from Van Halen, doesn't resemble Van Halen music in a lot, you know, really in any way at all. Um, I think it's great. I mean, I think it's sort of it just, you know, carries the legacy of the family forward. That for me is like, I'm always like, oh, you know, this is cool. And I'm sure. You know, if Eddie was alive, you know, he would be at every show, you know, watching this and being just thrilled to death about this, just being so proud. And, you know, um, that's what, of course, the distance video was all about, too. That sort of, you know, I don't know how proud Eddie was of his son. And so that's to me, it's like, yeah, um, Van Halen's over. There's going to be never be a Van Halen again. And, uh, you know, this isn't Van Halen, but it could be a way to sort of go on. You know what? I, you know, I have such enormous thanks to Eddie Van Halen for what he did and uh of changing my life and, you know, millions of other people who are fans of his music and making their, their childhoods different or their teenage years different by going to concerts or listening to the music. Um, you know, this is a way to, for, for me, at least when I listen to Wolfgang's stuff to be like, yeah, you know, this is, you know, it's, um, 
it's sort of a, you know, kind of a me tipping my tipping the cap to Eddie again. Hey, you know, you did good. Your son is, is out there kicking ass and he's got his band going and it's, it's great. You know, it's, it's great. It's not a, a clone thing. And that's even better. I mean, that's the thing too, putting aside all the, you know, sort of the, the stuff that's been talked about that. It's like, he's his own person, right? He's not like, Oh, I need to just replicate what my uncle and my dad did. It's like, you know, he's doing, you know, he grew up on different music. You know, he didn't grow up on cream and deep purple and Led Zeppelin and all these bands. He grew up on a totally different musical diet and, and different music. So it's, it's, it's great. You know, I've, I saw him uh, play in Austin a few weeks back and it was just a great concert. It was just really, you know, it just made me happy. Like, again, like, you know, even if, um, you know, for me, like, uh, you know, songs like running with the devil are, are obviously going to be like much more like immediate to me. And like, they immediately, like, you know, like they're more familiar. And so I'm not um, as familiar with Wolfgang's music. I've heard the stuff, but you know, again, it's like, you know, you're, but you're there in the room thinking about the legacy of Van Halen, if that makes sense. You know, you're not listening to running with the devil. You're listening to do, um, don't back down or something else. And it's like, you know, it's a different, it's a different musical vibe, but it's to me, it's like, yeah, well, like, fuck yeah, go, go Wolfie, you know, keep, keep the, keep the Van Halen thing going this way in a different sort of way. It's great. Yeah, I agree. I had, I had the pleasure of seeing him here, uh, outside of Chicago back in July. And, uh, it was just, it was fantastic. I mean, isn't that the ultimate tribute though, to his father, his father carved his own path from his father, who was in the big bands on the cruise lines and, you know, we, the, we, the, the history that we know about right. his dad. And it would have been very easy for Wolfgang to be a clone and to live off and to live off his father's name. But he didn't. And, and I think that's so admirable that he is carving his path and he's, he's adamant about it, that he wants to have his own identity. And I, I love when he posts, I think it was last week when he did the Panama post on Twitter where there was like 10 different <laughs> yeah. versions of Panama. And, 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 so he, and he even knows, right? All these people clamoring for him to play a Van Halen song know that if he does play that song, like he, like, like people want him to play, people are just going to pick it apart and he can't win, you know? And it's, it's so, you know, look, here's the thing. It's not even about Eddie Van Halen. It's anybody who's lost anybody close to them knows that once that person is gone, you know, there's no bringing them back. Like you could like, you could talk about them and you can remember them and things like that. Like the person is gone and you can't sort of wish it, wish it back to the way it was by doing things right. You know, um, I'm not talking about a tribute concert. I'm just talking about like, yeah, I mean, it's like, it's, I, I think, you know, Wolfgang knows that's, he's lost his dad and there's no Van Halen without his dad. And that chapter's over. Um, and you have to live with that, that sense of, of loss. Right. And again, that's going to be anybody who's lost a parent, a spouse, um, a brother or sister, you, you know, and you just have to sort of forge your own path and move forward, try to remember the person, but you can't like go, Oh, if we do these things, it like brings them back. You know what I mean? It brings, it's like, you know, it keeps them alive in that sort of way. It's like they're, they've passed, if that makes sense. And you have to accept that they've passed and do your best to remember them and honor them. But you can't just sort of like try to, um, you know, pretend like he's, that person's not gone by like doing all this, you know, and that's, I'm not saying that Wolfgang would even consider that or even, that even fits with what he would do. But I'm sure, you know, I think in the minds of, I guess what I'm saying in the minds of some level of Van Halen fans, I think Wolfgang taps into that. He's right there, like some, you know, 3% of Van Halen fans or something think like, oh, if, if Wolfie would just like play like five Van Halen songs, then Van Halen, like, then I get to enjoy Van Halen still. 
right? But like Wolfie's point is like, my dad's gone. My uncle is retired, not retired. We don't know, but he's not going to play music without my dad. The band's over. And if I play three Van Halen songs, that might make you happy for like 10 minutes while you're drinking your beer in this club, watching me play these songs, but it doesn't bring the band back. It just bring my dad back. And it actually, um, it, you know, I think it, it's sort of creates that false, you know, that false illusion of like, you say, you know, unfortunately he's gone. Um, I mean that you can't, you can't create Van Halen out of thin air when Eddie Van Halen doesn't exist. That's my point. What has also been great too, is to see young people celebrating the music of Eddie Van Halen. And if, if there was a downside to Van Halen, not producing a lot of music over the last two decades was that, they were becoming irrelevant. We all know that Billie Eilish statement that she didn't know that you know, who right. Eddie Van Halen was. And there was articles about is Van Halen one of those bands that just kind of fades away in the background as time moves forward. Right. You know, when people started to celebrate his life after his passing, we saw the videos of young kids trying to play eruption and playing the guitar and watching in amazement you know, uh, you know him. Him play live. I remember my son was at my my parents' house for a barbecue, and he's sitting in the chair in the patio, and he's got his head in his phone like most kids do. And I go, "What are you watching?" And he goes, "Oh, I'm watching Van Halen at the US Festival on YouTube." And, and uh, you know, and, and I'm like, "Wow, that is awesome. That is great." <laughs> you know, and um, but that that has been kind of breathtaking to see a resurgence in of who he was and people recognizing his talent and who he was. Right. Right. I mean, like, that's the thing. It's like, you know, people are taking, you know, we'll take it and, and, and carry it, carry it forward. And again, I'm not talking about like tribute bands or things like that. That's a different thing. Like it's, you know, and that's the, and that's really the, the place for that. If you're, you know, if you're craving, meaning as a fan, if you're craving a night of Van Halen, there's tons of good tribute bands. And I have a lot of respect for those guys who do that because they love the music so much that this is what they want to do to give themselves their musical outlet, right? That's how much they love Van Halen is that they want to go on stage and basically play Van Halen songs and, um, you know, try to give people that sense that they're back at a show. But like, yeah, exactly. You can't, you know, you can't like put the hologram up there. I mean, that's for me on a, uh, not really super related note. It's like, that's what I mean. That really sort of graded me personally. So wrong about the, about the Dio hologram. It's like, you know, he's gone, right? Don't, you know, don't, um, I shouldn't say don't, I should just say to me, that seems just to be cheapening his legacy to be like, well, here's the way we can sort of like get people to pay for a concert a Dio concert that has a hologram up there instead of Ronnie James Dio. Um, I'm not even saying like anybody, obviously no one at Van Halen would ever even dream about that. That's not even my point. It's just more of like, yeah, just go and like, you know, if you're into Van Halen and you want to see Van Halen, go check out one of the tribute bands or like pick up a guitar and play the songs, um, learn how to play uh, or play jump on the keyboard, the piano, teach yourself that. That's the, that's the type of stuff. Exactly. I mean, that's the, the thing where the legacy lives on. That's where Eddie's spirit is kept alive by people taking what they feel the inspiration um, giving them and going forward with that rather than sort of, you know, trying to create a, you know, a, a, a quasi Van Halen with Wolfgang in it. And, um, you know, I, I again, I, I, um, 
I can also would, would want to say too that you know I don't have to go on the internet every day and see pictures of my dad who's passed away. Um, I lost my dad a few years ago, and you know uh, I don't have to see you know get tweets from people saying why won't you do this to do about your dad. I, you know I think it's a very um, must be a very difficult thing for him to deal with, and maybe he's in a place where it doesn't bother him much anymore. Maybe it does. I don't know, but I, I would imagine that's extremely. Um, odd as a, as a person still grieving the you know you know and remembering the the passage of your um of your of your father had people sort of always sending pictures of them and you know again i do it all the time on twitter and I, you know you just, you just do people doing it. it's a public figure but like to have people that like coming at you with that stuff and then saying oh yeah by the way why don't you do this <laughs> you know with your dad's music you know it's just like i don't know that had you know so i'm just whatever he wants to do like like he should do it like basically to, you know, um, when he's ready, you know, if he wants to do a tribute concert, great. If he doesn't want to do a tribute concert, great. I think whatever, he doesn't owe anything to anybody. And, you know, the time will come where, um, you know, um, we'll sort of see clear about what the, you know, what the, they'll do in terms of catalog releases or whatever else is Van Halen might get, him. who knows, maybe nothing, maybe lots, but like, you know, the guy is a human being. Um, and that's just really, you know, I think about that a lot. I think like, God, you know, I don't have to deal with that. And, you know, and 99.9% of people who lose a, a parent, their parent's not famous. They don't have to deal with that, you know. Um, so that has to be, uh, you know, an extra thing for him here. He's trying to do his own thing with his music, not trying to. He's doing his own thing with his music. And you have these, um, you know, calls for him to like, you know, like you said, like, like play, good for him, like play Panama 30 times. Or whatever, and he's like, basically, fuck off. You know, <laughs> you know. Um, I, I will say that I had a guy tweet at me, and I'm not sure if he was joking or not. I didn't want to like blow it up, and like, so I just was like, uh, I'm not sure if you're serious or not. But he was like, I went to see him, and he didn't play it. And I was like, I couldn't quite tell if the person was joking or not. I I kind of think they weren't, and I was just like, I'm just gonna let this lie, and we'll just like move on because you know, it's just you know, it's just yeah. That's there's there's always going to be that that segment of the population that apparently doesn't get it. Right, right. You know, absolutely. As we close here, as we finish up, and we define, I don't know if we, we want to even define his legacy. I think that's for each individual person. But for you, has your idea of his legacy or your definition of his legacy changed since he passed a year ago? You know, um, I think one of the things that I've been thinking about more is is the stuff he did outside the realm of Van Halen. And so, you know, things like even like when he got on stage and he jammed with Patty Smythe or he got on stage, he played with Michael Jackson or he did the stuff with Brian May, you know, sort of those side projects. He did the soundtrack um, for The Seduction of Gina, which was the movie that Valerie Bertinelli was in. Um, you know, for me, that's like, that's one of the things I'm just like, you know, yeah, maybe he didn't make as much Van Halen music as we like, but he, you know, he did step out of Van Halen and do um, a number of of live events for charity or or whatnot, and, or just to jam with people. And he did, you know, he did do uh, Wildlife and these other things where he contributed uh, music to these different these different projects. So for me, it's like, you know, he he really was a guy who just wanted to make music, you know, and then you could tell that was the, 
by the the output of that. It wasn't like, oh, you know, whatever. Van Halen is my basically the family business, and we make these albums. So it was like, no, I just want to play. I just want to like, I'll, I'll go play. You know, um, and and sort of in thinking about those those um, other side projects and outlets that he was doing, where he would play with people. Um, and again, this is into the '90s, right? Where he would be like, you know, he would do um, different. Um, Different benefit concerts. The, uh, I think he did the he did the bridge concert and a couple of other things in the '90s and some of the other ones that are not coming to mind, unfortunately. But you know, even at Nam at Nam shows, like getting up and jamming, you know, it's like you know the guy the guy just lived for it, and uh, you know, so that's I guess the, one of the things I've been thinking about is that he um, he may not have produced as many Van Halen albums as we would have quote unquote liked sort of an ideal perfect world where you know you get a new Van Halen record every three years or something like that. But you know, he, it's uh, he was out there and he was a, a guy who wanted to get on stage with people or get in the studio with people and, or, you know, hold himself up and make music for a soundtrack. So he did a lot of um, stuff outside of Van Halen that probably doesn't get enough um, focus because of obviously because the Van Halen stuff is so superb. I think about those stories Steve Lukather tells about him just kind of tagging along when he's got to do these studio work in the eighties and, and basically saying there's so, there's albums that Eddie's on that he's not even credited for, you know, you know, and these adult contemporary artists that Steve used to play, you know, on their albums. And that's, that to me is the cool stuff, you know, the amazing stuff that we'll never right. know, you know, I mean, you know, maybe, maybe a Streisand album, or maybe a Michael Bolton album has Eddie playing on it. I have no idea. Um, but that's always the interesting thing that, uh, that I, I find about his life. And even when he was at the top of his game, he was still willing to kind of hang out with his buddy all day and oh, I'll play. Yeah, I'll do this. You know, I mean, that's just, that's just the cool idea of, of him doing that. Yeah. I'll tell you one quick, quick story in, in, in passing. Um, I have a, uh, which is a good one. Um, I have a friend, his name's Chris McLernan. Chris um, was in a band called uh, Cold Sweat which made a couple albums for MCA, made an album for MCA in the early 90s. And um, what had happened is there was this singer in the band named Oni Logan who left Cold Sweat right after they got a record deal to go play with George Lynch. And as a result, uh, they were left without a singer. So Chris and the drummer in Cold Sweat happened to be at a rehearsal studio in L.A. Um, they were auditioning singers and they were waiting for the singer to show up and uh, they got there early, so they're just practicing songs. And Eddie had walked past a couple times. So this would have been again, around 1989, 1990. Eddie had walked past the rehearsal place a couple times, and they kind of waved to him. Um, and they were playing. So Chris and his drummer were playing, and Eddie stuck his head in, and they like basically waved to him. You know, this is Eddie Van Halen. They're like, come, come, here, come here. And he's like, hey, what are you guys doing? And uh, they're like, do you want to jam? And he was like, yeah, okay. And he picked up the guitar. This is the guitar player for Cold Sweat. It might have been Mark Ferrari's guitar, I'm not sure, who's in Keel and then Cold Sweat. Yep. And uh, and uh, <laughs> the way Chris tells the story that Eddie was like, you know, kind of like, what do you want to play? And uh, they're like, oh, you know, they, they were like, all right, we'll just, you know, we'll jam some old stuff like Sabbath or something like that. And so before he did that, he basically disconnected all the chords on the rig of the guitar, the Bradshaw box, whatever it was. It just plugged straight into the Marshall, turns it all the way up to 10 and played. And they played... Um, so Chris and the drummer and Eddie played three or four songs. They played like War Pigs, a couple of Zeppelin songs, and like maybe Hendrix song. They just like played like, you know, and he was like, just just played. And, he, and of course, Chris and the, the drummer like looking at each other going, oh my God, oh my God, what's happening? And like, and then he was like, 
okay, guys, that was fun. I got to go. Great to meet you guys. I'll talk to you later. <laughs> and then they talked to him again. But it was like, you know, like you're saying about like he just wanted to play or, you know, just like you know, these little, you know, that Lucas are saying like, oh, you don't even know the things he played on. But like, you know, they basically like talked Eddie Van Halen into jamming Black Sabbath songs. He was like, oh, okay, yeah, no problem. You know, I've got a few minutes to kill. And they like, for them, that was a life-changing thing. But, to, you know, to Eddie, it was just like, oh, I have an opportunity to play. You know, and he just cranked it up and played with these guys. And they were just, you know, in awe. <laughs> you know, and he was like, I got to go. See you guys later. Nice to meet you. You know, and left. Well, I mean, I even heard the story, too, with like Dweezil Zappa when he came to teach Dweezil how to play guitar. You know, Dweezil like looks out his, at his bedroom and he sees Eddie walking up the stairs with a guitar case. Or, you know, you hear Nuno Betancourt talk about Eddie lecturing him. Maybe lecture is a strong word, but, you know, I, hey, be yourself. Sound like yourself. Don't try to sound like me or don't try to sound like somebody else. Right. You know, and that right. to me is, you know, a testament to who he was. He wanted to hear you. He didn't want to hear him in you, which is which is so profound. Right. Yes, definitely. Definitely. Well, Greg, it has been a blast. I, I I appreciate you doing this and having this conversation because, you know, I know it, it means a lot to me. It means a lot to people who are listening to this to kind of just, you know, figure out where they go with their thoughts on Eddie Van Halen and what they do with, with you know, their love for Eddie and how they define what what he meant to them. So thank you for doing this. You are quite welcome. I will tell you that, uh, yeah, it's um, it's hard to believe it's a year. That's what I would say. That's what I want to tell you. It's been hard to believe it's a year. So I appreciate you bringing this uh, opportunity to me, and I'm great to talk to you. Yeah, man, it feels like five minutes, doesn't it? It feels like it just happened. Yes. It's weird, but. All right, everybody, that's Greg Runoff. Thank you very much uh, for him joining our episode, our podcast. I'm Jay Scott. This is The Hook Rocks, the ultimate rock community podcast. We'll talk soon. Thanks. of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? 
not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would I shop? Would I shop? Would you kill? Yes. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.